Today we're beginning a series of messages that's going to take us through the, the book of Philippians entitled Unstoppable Joy. Unstoppable Joy. Find your Bibles, please, and go ahead and, and turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. That's where we're going to begin. And here's the key concept for this morning. Be like Paul. Joyfully pray for others. I wonder if you write thank you notes. My mother was very firm on the fact that when you get a gift, the polite thing to do is to send a thank you note back to the person who gave you that gift. Now, I mention that because the next few weeks as we're in the book of Philippians, what we're actually looking at is a thank you note from the Apostle Paul. It's an extended thank you note nonetheless, but it is a thank you note. And we call that note the book of Philippians. As he writes this letter, Paul is under house arrest. Now, maybe you feel like you're under house arrest right now. Uh, and here's how it's described, Paul's house arrest in Acts 28. It says this, For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Two years under house arrest, that's a long time. But at least he could have visitors, and he used that to the gospel advantage. While awaiting trial in Rome, Paul had to rent a house and provide for his own expenses. And the Philippian Christians heard about that and understanding that they sent a gift of money to Paul for his expenses. They sent it with a man named Epaphroditus, and it was well needed and very appreciated. And so Paul writes this letter back to thank them for the gift. We're glad that Paul's mother, like my mother, insisted that he write thank you notes when he received a gift. But this is a thank you note and then some. Follow along as I read the first six verses. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul came to Philippi while on his second missionary journey. That places it about the year A.D. 50. Philippi was the first city that Paul preached the gospel in in northern Greece, the area called Macedonia. And his visit there is recorded in Acts chapter 16. Now, Philippi, by Paul's time, was a very Roman city, a very Gentile city. In 42 B.C., the Roman Senate had granted this city the privilege of being named a colony. That meant that this city was exempt for certain taxes, that those who lived in Philippi could file lawsuits in Roman courts. The free people were considered Roman citizens. And it also meant that the Roman government sent soldiers who retired to Philippi and gave them land. 
and encouraged them to live there. And while they were there, them and all the rest of the citizens had a mission of turning this city into an outpost for the Roman culture in the region. The people were to dress like Roman citizens. They were to speak Latin, but also they would have Greek, and the city would serve as a key station along the Roman system of roads. The whole point of a colony was that they were to spread the culture of Rome into the various regions of the empire. But Paul came in A.D. 50, represent a, representing a greater empire, the empire of the kingdom of God. And in our, in our passage today, Paul states that as he remembers them and what God did in his days with them, he remembers them with joy and thanksgiving. But what were the initial memories of the Apostle Paul? The memories of Paul's experience in Philippi would have revolved around three particular people. Number one, a Turkish businesswoman named Lydia, and then two unnamed people a demon-possessed slave girl, and a jailer. Lydia was the first to hear and respond to the gospel message of Jesus in Philippi, the first convert on what we would now consider to be European soil. She was a woman of some wealth, and she invites the traveling missionaries to use her home as a base of operations while they're ministering in Philippi, and that's exactly what they do. And while there, we read in Acts chapter 16, a demon-possessed girl began to follow Paul and Silas as they walked through the city. Evidently, it happened a number of times, and as she followed them, she would cry out, these men speak for the from the Most High God. Now, at first, you would think that that would be okay. It's kind of like free advertising. But what was really happening was the slave girl was using that, this demon-possessed slave girl, using that to call attention to herself and her master, for she was in the business of, 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 of telling the future. She was a, a fortune teller, so to speak. And Paul would have none of that. And so through the power of the Holy Spirit, he cast the demon out of that girl, and thus her, her uh, master's livelihood was lost. And that master was so enraged that he dragged Paul and Silas to the courts. The magistrates in Philippi threw them into jail after having them publicly beaten for their offense. They called it disturbing the peace. That night, Paul and Silas were in the dark in the dungeon of that jail. And around midnight, we read that they were singing songs while in prison. And at that moment, an earthquake struck. God caused this earthquake to take place, and the jail doors flew open. But instead of making their escape in that moment, Paul and Silas stayed put. And the jailer was so impressed by that that he and his family came to faith in Christ and were baptized. So as Paul leaves town, uh, and when he was done in Philippi and moving on, he left behind one Gentile uh, believing woman and her household, probably meaning her, her servants, a converted Roman jailer, and as the family uh, of the, nu the, the nucleus of the family this church would, would become uh, in Philippi. But it grew. 
Ten years later now, they're corresponding with the, the Apostle Paul. And ten years uh, of ministry has grown this church into a multi-ethnic, multi-class church. It has organized itself for effectiveness, and it has remained in contact with the Apostle Paul. In fact, reading between the lines, it seems a great partnership and friendship has, has seemed to grow up between Paul and this church over the decade. So when Paul writes this thank you letter back to the church in Philippi, he ends up writing one of the most joyful books in all of Scripture. Let's look at verses 3 and 4 again. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Notice with me, he remembers the blessings from his encounter in Philippi, not the arrest, not the beatings, not the time in the, in the dungeon. What sticks in his mind after that difficult beginning was that God created a church here. He brought people to himself, and they became a center for the Lord's work in the region. This ability to skim off the bad and to retain the good in our minds and hearts is what I have come to call blessed forgetfulness. Blessed forgetfulness is a choice. Paul is making a choice here. He's saying, I'm not going to evaluate you by the bad. I choose to remember the good instead. I choose to see other people through the filter of the good. I remember the blessings and what God has done, not the pain. I say that because we would do well to emulate that practice. Blessed forgetfulness putting aside the hard memories, clinging to the good. And doing that, Paul said, I pray with joy. He prays with thanksgiving and joy. Paul declares that whenever he thinks of them, he's thankful, and every thought reminds him to pray. We ought to have joy in our prayer ministry. So often we're unable to help. So, so often we're unable to understand the real needs that people are experiencing. We're caught up ourselves in the events of life, and, and uh, we feel this frustration right now in a particular way as we are closed off from one another. We've lost the in-person rhythm of our relationship and our fellowship. We, we feel disconnected. Some of us feel lonely. Some of us feel like we're not making any difference. We feel ineffective. But prayer is something that we can always do. We can all do, and it is always effective. Paul is sitting in house arrest in Rome, and he recognizes that part of what he can do there is have a ministry of prayer. And he prays with joy because of their partnership. Look at verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. When you see someone as a spiritual partner, you will pray for them with joy. Here's what he's saying. God is not done with you, and God is not done with me, and God is not done with us. We are partners for the glory of God and the spread of the gospel. And I tell you, that's exactly the way I feel about the work here at Quail. I pray often for what we do together as a family of faith. I pray in my study, 
When we're able to gather together in groups, I pray with the men's prayer time every Wednesday morning, 6 a.m. We pray as a staff in our staff meetings. And every time I pray and I listen to others pray, I hear the joy of partners praying for other partners spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what does Paul pray for as he thinks about his partners in the gospel? Look down at verse 9. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He lists what he prays for. He shows them his prayer request, and the first prayer request is that they be overflowing with love. We need overflowing love. I heard a story about a stay-at-home mom. She was having one of those meltdown days when it would have been better to stay in bed. And the phone rang, and a kindly older female voice said into her ear, Good morning, dear. How's your day going? And she replied, Oh, mother, it has been the worst day. Just the thought about it moved her to tears. The baby won't eat. The washing machine is broken. I've not had a chance to go out for groceries and we're low on everything. I tripped and I sprained my ankle, so now I can't put any weight on it and I'm hopping around the house uh, trying to pull things together. The place is a mess. And of all things, tonight we have two couples coming over for dinner. Well, the mother overflowed with love. She said, don't worry, dear, I'll be right over. And on the way, I'll stop, I'll pick up some groceries, and when I get there, I'll clean the house for you, start dinner, I'll call the repairman and schedule a repair for that washing machine, and I bet you I can get that little one to eat. Now stop crying. As a matter of fact, I'll call up George in the office and tell him to come home early. And the young woman replied, George? Who's George? Why, it's your husband. Isn't this 555-1212? No, this is 5551213. Oh, I'm sorry. I must have called the wrong number. And there was a long pause. And finally she said, Does that mean you're not coming? She needed love to overflow. And we all need love to overflow. How and to whom can you reach out today, even while we're practicing physical distance? A phone call can be made. A drive-by greeting can take place. A text, a kind note jotted down and mailed. We can overflow with love. I've experienced it personally this this last, last month. Great encouragement from many of you, even though we're separated by distance. Paul prays that love will overflow towards one another will abound, will gush out, slosh over. That's the sense of the word that he uses. He is not talking about a reserved, stodgy, standoffish, you know, pinkies extended country club, cotillion kind of love. No, no, that doesn't cut it when you're overflowing with the love of Jesus Christ. It flows out. It gushes forward. That's the love that he describes, and he uses the word that pictures the very highest form of love. God-like love, agape love. Agape is active love, but more than just active. It's sacrificial love. It's Christ-like love, love that seeks the highest good of, of the other person. 
That's what Paul is praying will overflow in the church in Philippi. But he goes on to describe it a little more. In verse 9, he prays that that love will abound in knowledge and depth of insight. That's interesting to me. He's not praying that their love will grow in sentimentality. He's saying that when you love someone, you actually ought to be growing in knowledge about that person, in the ability to see that person and understand them correctly, to see what is true and what is false, what is good and what is bad. When you love a subject, for instance, you want to learn more about that subject. When you love a person, you want to learn more about that person. As we get to know that person, we are sensitive to what that individual likes or dislikes or cares about. As they love Jesus and their love for Jesus increases, their desire to know more about what's important to Jesus, what He values and what He cares about, that's how their love should grow. As they love one another, they should grow in their understanding of what is best and what is better as they as they act towards one another. And this leads us to the next prayer request. He prays for that kind of overflowing love in knowledge and insight, and then he prays that they would experience discernment. Listen to verse 10. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. He prays for discernment, the ability to truly evaluate Discernment. Sometimes what we label discernment really turns into judgmentalism, and it is often abrasive and hurtful. It seems we too easily call a critical spirit discernment, especially when we adopt for ourselves the title of the gift of discernment. Be careful about conversations that begin this way. I have the gift of discernment, and I have something to tell you. That usually doesn't go well. In this paragraph, we learn that Christian discernment should be love-saturated. It begins in love. There's simply no room for the nasty, harsh comment, for the snarky social media post. There's no place for that bitter rumor or, or the call to, I'm going to tell them off kind of attitude. Our discernment from the Spirit needs to be saturated in love then we'll be able to bless with discernment. Oswald Chambers got it right when he said, God never gives us discernment in order that we might criticize, but so that we might intercede. That's what Paul is praying for, and that's what he's doing here, that they might have godly, love-saturated discernment. But he also prays that they would be pure and blameless at the end of verse 10. You see, love-saturated discernment will affect our character, the character that is being formed in us by Jesus Christ should be pure. That term at the end of verse 10, some of your translations might uh, translate as sincere. Both of those translations work for that term, but literally, it's a picture word. The word really says, son-judged. It's a picture word of holding something up to sunlight, like some liquid in a vial up to sunlight and being able to see no impurities there. There's nothing floating around. There's no defects inside of that 
pure vial of liquid. It's sun-judged. Paul is saying, I pray that your character will withstand the blinding light of scrutiny. I pray that there's not any hidden defects or blemishes floating, at, floating around inside of who you are, and thus no cause for blame. I'm praying that you are being changed from the inside out. And he also prays that they will be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Look at verse 11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Fruit is the result. Fruit can be seen. If I look at a tree and I see oranges, I know it's an orange tree. If I look at a tree and I see lemons, I know it's a lemon tree. The obvious product is there. And the obvious product of the life of the follower of Jesus Christ, Paul says, should be righteousness, being seen because of the purity and the blamelessness within. I think he has in mind maybe also what he has already written to the church in Galatia. In chapter 5, he says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit, these are the things that should be seen outwardly. And these are the things that Paul is praying for, for this, this church, these people that he loves so much. He's praying for these spiritual prayer requests. And knowing that, that that's the prayer life of the Apostle Paul, you know what? I am rebuked. Because I say, do I pray this way for the people that I love? Do you pray this way for the people that you love? Our ministry of prayer needs to be based on Paul's example. And from this opening few verses of his letter to Philippi, we see how the ministry of prayer is meant to be conducted. Pray this sort of prayers, deep spiritual prayers. Now, there's going to come a day when we will be able to gather together again. And there will come a day when that occurs that we start up once again our 6 a.m. Wednesday morning men's prayer time. And I want to say that all of the men watching this broadcast, you are invited to come, come with us. In that 6 a.m. men's prayer time, we pray for all of those prayer cards that you, the family of Quail, turn in every single Sunday. And maybe... Can you guess what the major category of prayer request is? Overwhelming, overwhelmingly, it's illness and physical health by a long shot. And that's okay because especially now as we intercede for those who are ill with the virus and for the protection for those that we love, it's important to pray those prayers. We're specifically told in the Bible to pray for those who are ill, and we see modeled those kinds of prayers in the Scripture. There's nothing wrong with praying about physical needs and illness. Keep them coming. We love to pray for those needs. But when a request comes for the salvation of a friend or a loved one, when a request comes in for the spiritual growth of a son or a daughter or maybe even the person writing the card, when we are asked to pray, pray that I would have a greater understanding of God's will. Pray that I would have a greater understanding of the Word of God as I, as I try to read. These kinds of requests are like shining moments in prayer. 
because it speaks to us of a passion for spiritual progress, a desire for transformation, and for that we do battle in prayer. You see, we too should pray as Paul prayed, for abounding love between the members of our faith family, for increasing knowledge of, of spiritual truth and insight regarding how to live the way God wants us to live. We should pray for the ability to rightly tell the difference between good and better and best in a society that does not show discernment and that is awash in moral confusion. We should pray for purity of heart and evident righteousness. This is the kind of prayer that Paul prayed. Be like Paul. Pray spiritual prayers. And not only should we emulate Paul's prayer life in the content of his prayers, we also should be more like Paul in the pattern of his prayer ministry. Here's what I want you to see. Paul has a specific pattern of prayer ministry. First of all, he prays for the needs that he knows about. He doesn't just say he will pray. He actually prays. I saw a cartoon some time ago, and it was a three-panel cartoon. In the first panel, two men were kind of drawing near to one another, just walking uh, towards one another. And in the thought box of one of the men, the, the thought is, oh, here comes Joe. I told Joe I'd pray for him. In the middle box, it, it's that same man thinking, God bless Joe. The third box, hey, Joe, I've been praying for you. And I guess that's technically true, but it's not much of a, a prayer ministry towards Joe. Paul actually prayed. He, he lifted his, his concerns up to the Lord. It wasn't just the, the praying hands emoji on Facebook. He, he actually prayed. Really, he really interceded for those he loved. That's number one. Number two in his prayer pattern, he tells them that he prayed. This is a, the model of the Apostle Paul. He lets them know that he's praying for them, establishing for them that I am interceding on your behalf to show his depth of concern. But there's a third point in the pattern of his prayer ministry. The final step is he tells them what he prays. He prays. He tells them that he prays. He tells them what he prays. He's specific. This is the content of my prayer for you. In other words, he announces the prayer targets that he has in mind so that when the result comes, that result will be attributed to the hand of the Lord in response to Paul's prayers. I mention this because parents and grandparents, this is immensely important for you. There will be times when towards your family, your only and best influence will be your ministry of prayer. Make sure that you pray. Make sure that you tell them that you pray and make sure that you tell them what you're praying for. Don't be vague. Vagueness is the enemy. Be specific. This is what I'm asking God to do in your life. This is what I'm praying for for you. And as those changes begin to happen, we will observe together the hand of God moving in our family. When we do that, we follow the example of the Apostle Paul. So this week, when life is not normal and everything seems to be on hold, let's engage in this sort of ministry of prayer. And let's make this the new normal of our prayer ministry when this time of pandemic is over. 
Now, I realize this message this morning has been primarily for those of us who already know Christ as Savior. But maybe those, the, there's some of you who are, are tuning in today who would long to see God working in your life, but you realize that you really don't have a relationship with Him. Maybe for a long time, God has seemed distant and far away and uninterested in you, but that's not true. The Bible teaches us that God sees you, that He loves you, that He wants you to be a part of His life and and Him to be a part of your life. It is sin that separates us from the life that God has for us. The same Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's where we all start. And that sin that is a part of us deserves punishment. But Jesus took that punishment on the cross. That's what the cross was all about, Him taking the punishment in our place. And today, He offers you the forgiveness that He earned for you on the cross because death couldn't hold Him and He came back from the dead. He lives to save today. Romans 6.23 says this, The wages, or the result of sin, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift is being held out to, to those of us who don't know Him today. It's being held out, and we can take it as our own and unwrap it and make it ours. And when you accept that gift, you start the kind of relationship with God that we see in action this morning through the Apostle Paul. You're part of what God is doing in the world, and you gain a promise of life forever with Him. And all of this comes as you turn to Him in faith and simply express the desire to receive that gift through repentance and trust in Jesus Christ. And you express that faith in a prayer. Now, maybe that's just what you need, and maybe that's just what you want, to start that life, a new life, with Christ Jesus. I'm going to help us do that this morning, because if that's what you need, you know it, because the Holy Spirit is nudging. And I'm going to ask all of us to just bow for a word of prayer, And in these next few moments, I'm going to pray a prayer. And for those of us who need to say yes to Jesus for the first time, you simply repeat this prayer in faith, silently where you sit, and God will respond to your heart. So let's all pray together. And if today you want to start that life with Jesus Christ, you pray, Lord Jesus, I need you. Lord, I believe you died on the cross in my place You took the punishment that I deserve. I believe you rose again and that you can forgive me today. Lord, I want to be your child. I want to start over and live this life with you. Help me, Lord. I trust you. And Lord, I don't know how many people prayed that prayer as they're listening to this broadcast, but I know, Lord, that it is your desire that every person would come to faith and know forgiveness, and start over. And I pray, Lord, for all of us today. Many of us have walked with the Lord for a long time, but it's been a while since we engaged in a ministry of prayer. For some of us, even though we're church attenders and we'll be coming back to church when the building is open, it's been a while since we really targeted spiritual needs in our prayer. So, Lord, we pray that we would have the kind of prayer ministry we see in the life of the Apostle Paul. And help us make a difference for you and for your glory. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, if you prayed that prayer along with me today, I'd like to be able to send you an encouraging booklet called Now What? It's a book that explains the next first few steps of those who follow Jesus. Uh, In order to send it to you, I need to know your contact information. And in order to gain that information, I'm going to ask you to do something for me. Would you text the word faith? Text the word faith to the number 209 257-8768, and we'll respond to you asking for your uh, contact information, and when we have it, I'll be able to send this booklet to you and encourage you in the Lord. We'd love for you to do that. As we conclude our service this morning, let's bow for a word of prayer. Lord, we leave this service with hallelujah ringing in our hearts. Praise the Lord. Lord, we pray that you would help us through this time, even though it's difficult for many, keep our praises alive. Heal us, bless us, use us for your glory. Make us the blessing to others that you want us to be. Thank you for the opportunity to be together in this way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for being part of our worship this morning.